0: to another episode of Horror Dads. Today we are joined by our, I'm just going to say it, he's our friend. And uh, we love him and we love his band. It's Gabe Reasoner from the band Careful Gaze. What's up, Gabe? I'm happy to be back. It's been too long. Yeah, this is a repeat. Dude, we missed you. Every episode we do without you is just not the same. I know. I was what? scared your kids were all going to be in college by the time I got
1: back on here. <laughs> they but, are, man. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. They all have their own podcasts
2: now about yeah. their weird family members <laughs> horror kids yeah
1: what when did we have you on it was uh it was a while ago yeah it probably wasn't as long as it feels like it was probably like early 21 or something
0: yeah yeah what have you been up to man you guys have a uh, album release coming what next week
1: oh yeah yeah i've been <laughs> making rock rock music out on the open road and uh listening to horror dads and the basically no matter what i strive to do i will never make anything that goes harder than the horror dads theme and intro uh-huh. um and i've just accepted that at this point in my life
0: yeah the, the sooner you accept that the uh better off yeah you, you get on to making your own music at yeah. that point yeah
1: it really does not matter if i'm doing household chores if i'm Running if I'm just like sitting at work when when the drop hits for the horror dad's theme, I will punch something.
2: <laughs> your fist will just explode in any direction from your body. It doesn't yep. matter.
1: <laughs> yep, I just become like a an NPC for a second and just lose my mind.
0: Man, you're just like Grand Theft Auto NPC. Yep. <laughs> so Gabe, this is what you're. Uh, so you guys have.
2: How many EPs? And this is your second full length, right?
1: Yeah. So under the name Careful Gaze, since we started doing that in 2018, this will be our second full length. And we had one EP and then we've done a bunch of standalone singles in between larger releases too.
2: Yeah. And uh, Careful Gaze does have a Patreon um, to which both Jamie and I are members. And as members of that Patreon... We got early access to the album, so we've listened to the whole thing. It's fucking amazing. Um, Gives me chills thinking about it. Gives me chills listening to it. So you want to talk a little bit about the album, what it's called, where people can find it when it's
1: out? Yeah, definitely. Um, This album is, I want to say, a long time in the making. I don't know if that actually is true in the world of music, but we essentially started writing songs While we were still in lockdown, just in like a cold, damp basement uh, rehearsal space with just three of us. And that was in like early 2021. So we worked on it for about a year and a half. We wrote probably like 22 songs for it and, you know, cut it down until we had what we wanted. It's called Wrath Like Flowers Upon My Brow. And it comes out July 15th, 2022. It'll be everywhere on streaming Uh, We've got a store online that has, you know, physical copies and cassettes, if that's the stuff that you're into. But streaming, obviously, is the main place that people will be finding it.
2: Yep, and we're going to be giving away a a few copies of that. You don't know that, but uh, we're going to buy some and raffle them off uh, to our valued listeners. Nice. And if you like the show, uh, you'll like the band. And we're going to take the episode out with a track from that album. So...
0: Yeah, we did that last time. Yeah. Uh,
2: Big, big favorite. Yeah, for sure. Um, And because Gabe is one, I think, maybe the only like real professional musician that we're actually friends with at this point in life, uh, our theme today is we're going to talk about horror scores and uh, (coughs) soundtracks a little bit, uh, but mostly scores. So the sounds that accompany the scenes we see in horror, we're each going to pick five films that have great scores or soundtracks, and we're going to talk about those films. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to do some introductory stuff and catch up a little bit. Uh, so do we want to do that before before we talk about our movies?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do it.
2: Well, why don't we uh, let Gabe, our guest, go first. What have you been watching, Gabe? Anything, anything new and exciting in the world of horror?
1: I would like to be watching more things right now, um, <laughs> but I've been pretty busy with the album but i did have a chance to go see black phone oh shit yeah what'd you think
2: i liked it a lot that's what we've heard the consensus has been like two thumbs
1: up from everybody yeah i in a strange way i almost felt like it was like in the same universe as joaquin phoenix's joker Hmm. really Uh, yeah like the is there any time like any the antagonist tie. of the film just is it felt very similar to me like oh. i felt like ethan Hawke was joaquin phoenix cool. uh but no i liked it i thought it had a really good vibe to it um you know they when they're focusing on the the kids and their the friendships and everything and the sibling relationships at all it's just they definitely manipulate your emotions in that film a lot and uh you really care about the characters and i i thought it was a maybe it wasn't like necessarily groundbreaking but i thought it was a interesting movie from beginning to end and i had fun seeing it in theaters and there were way more interesting horror trailers than i i expected that there would be
3: um, oh during the on front of them yeah
1: yeah
2: yeah i uh those are the kind of movies that make me cry quite honestly because <laughs> i get like real invested in character development and really emotional uh so yeah i can't wait to check that out we got to get to that jamie <laughs>
0: Yeah, dude, I, it's just, you know, getting in the fucking movies these days.
2: Um, so something Jamie and I both have been watching, this is a segment we do on our Patreon. It's called never seen it. So we have our patrons vote and, uh, last month in June, our patrons voted on a movie that I nominated called mad, mad God, which was a really disgusting <laughs> stop motion animation film, um, um, And uh, it's on Shutter. It's been in production for like 30 years. And uh, it's really fucking weird. There's no storyline. There's no... uh, There are characters that have somewhat of a point, but it's really just... The whole movie is basically like Discord.
0: It's a story of this guy's... uh, I don't know what he is, an assassin (laughs) or something. And it's about his descent into hell and yeah. uh, you kind of watch him uh descend these different levels and uh then he, you're in hell. Yeah you're in hell yeah, and you're yeah, just yeah. you feel claustrophobic confined by the most disgusting imagery you've ever seen. I di- I I didn't even finish it. It was just so repulsive. Yeah, it's tough to watch. Um I mean it's great. It's a fucking achievement yeah. of stop motion animation and just everything but oh my god.
1: It, it took thir- Did you say it took 30 years?
0: Yeah. yeah um, he's been working on it for 30 years. I can't, the guy's name escapes me. Yeah, and the, the so the movie,
2: <clears throat> the the dude that made it, his name is uh, Phil Tippett.
0: Oh, yeah, Phil Tippett, yeah.
2: Yeah, he, like, his um, effects credentials are, like, mine. Yeah, like, he
0: worked on like, Jurassic Park and shit like that, you know? Yeah,
2: he, he's been involved in you know absolutely everything but
0: in the meantime while he's making dinosaurs like on his own time he's in his trailer working on this disgusting shit yeah like <laughs> star,
2: star wars robocop star- oh, starship oh yeah he was Troopers. a big robo
0: he was big in RoboCop.
1: yeah, yeah jurassic park as jamie mentioned was so, he responsible for the turning the cop into like the the bullet riddled man
0: <laughs> i'm sure well, he probably, was
2: probably yeah <laughs> uh he also did piranha i do the love robocop
0: piranha. so much
2: yeah. So it's uh it's interesting to say the least. Um if if you like horror you like stop motion animation, you appreciate kind of some of the things we just described. Like it's worth it's worth checking out. Um
0: Yeah, I feel like we, we made it sound bad. Yeah. It's it's really it's it's an amazing achievement, like I said, but it is disgusting. Don't yeah. eat dinner while you're watching it. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> do, do not.
2: Do not. And if you do eat dinner, like it's gotta be like Rice. Yeah, with nothing on it, just like oh, the most just plain. rice, yeah. no season. You
0: don't, yeah, you don't want to be eating like Indian food, right? <laughs> Gabe was right there with that. He's like rice, yeah, rice. and he's right. Safe uh,
1: rice is pretty much safe for most situations.
2: Yeah, very safe bet. And then I also have been watching the Creep Show uh, television show. Oh, you have? Yeah, what the new seasons? Uh, no, so I realized <clears> I was looking at it today, and I was like, how many seasons are there now? And I think there are three out now. Yeah. And I only got through about halfway of the first season. Oh. So I just started from from the from the get. And th- those are pretty good. Yeah, I know it's a little budget, but yeah, they're good. No, they're solid. Yeah. Did
0: you ever watch the Christmas special yet? No. Dude, that is fucking, that's great. No. It's like a, it's essentially just one episode. But yeah. All right. Yeah. It's fucking great. Um, what have we been buying? Anything, Jamie, that you want to mention? That you've been buying? <sighs> So I, I told you I bought that Phantom of the. Oh yeah, yeah. So this episode's actually going to come out before I talk about that. But I bought yeah. this Blu-ray called uh, Phantom of the Mall: Eric's Revenge. Yeah, Gabe, wait till you hear about. Yeah. So this this, this is like it came out like 1989. Um, it it has who did I say it has? <laughs> Paulie it has Shore, pre-famous Paulie Shore. <laughs> oh um, wow! It's essentially this, it's this movie about um, so this guy he like gets burned alive in his house or something. And then uh, the house gets demolished, and they build this badass mall right on top of the house. And then uh, this—it's a—it's essentially Phantom of the Opera, but in a mall. And uh, (laughs) this guy, like deformed fucker, is like rolling, roaming through the uh, uh, ventilation tubes of the mall. So it's like chopping mall. I was going to say, yeah, it's very chopping chopping mall. mall. It sounds—I haven't watched it yet. The Blu-ray—it's from Arrow. It looks fucking amazing. I can't wait to watch it. I told John I've been going back and forth because with the Arrow Blu-rays. You can take the insert out and switch it if you want and like reverse it. Yeah. But there's um, a different like cover on each side. Yeah. So if you're a total nerd like me, you spend way too much time deciding like which, which one you want to display. Jamie, come on. We got to get going. Yeah. We're going to be late. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm just to flipping decide. my <laughs> covers.
3: Yeah.
1: That's why you got to get two and then you can have one on oh each God. side. I'm ordering
0: another one right yeah, now.
2: I'm going to tell for Jamie's wife. You told him that. I'm, a, I'm sorry in advance for what
0: I have done. <laughs> you know, what's funny is my son opened my package yesterday. And, uh, I hear him coming up the steps like, whose is this? (laughs) And my wife was like, well, whose do you think that is? It's gotta be your dad's. And he like comes in the office. He's like, dad, this weird thing is yours.
2: (laughs) Well, I picked up our buddy, Matt Pepler released some, um, summer t-shirts, some more. Your wife's going
0: to love this (laughs) when she's trying to close the drawers, (laughs) (laughs) some more breathable material, um, what you do is you get a stick and you push the shirts down while you're closing them.
2: Yeah, we had to get those on Amazon. Yep. Uh, but he printed the, the uh, Camp Crystal Lake print, that one right there, that you guys can't see, yep. but Jamie and I can. Um, he printed it on a yellow t-shirt, so I'm super pumped to get that, so I picked that up. But uh, Gabe,
1: you been buying anything horror-related? I haven't lately, but I've had my eye on the uh, Toxic Coffin Black Skulls Mandy shirt. That they dropped oh yeah yeah yeah
0: i know you're a big mandy fan Mm -hmm. (laughs) and their mandy
1: designs are badass
0: dude i was really close to
1: getting it i already have one mandy t from them so Mm. and i was we were in the process of moving and i was in the process of hating everything i own so i was like well if i get it i'm probably just gonna like throw 20 articles of clothing in the trash so i didn't get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah dude sorry toxic coffin (laughs) i feel so
2: good about buying anything from them too uh just because they they send packages with uh such love
1: care and deliberation yeah Yeah. like every when i moved i found my uh mandy koozie that i didn't even remember Mm. that i had and just like popped a a red bull that didn't fit into it and was like huh i've got to use this now because i remember (laughs) i have it
0: yeah i um i was actually just rearranging some stuff the other day and i found like inside of a, a bowl or something on my shelf, I found the package of uh, comet dust from my uh, Night of the Comet shirt that I got. And they sent the comet dust. What about uh, what are we wearing? Gabe, you got a nice shirt on there. What's uh? What well, yeah, so
1: what this is here is this is a uh, custom cut horror dad's <laughs> tank top. We've got the original. Uh, oh, wait, is this? No, is this the second one? You guys would know better than. that. that's that's the first that's one. the OG man yeah, the OG one. So yeah, what we've got here is the OG horror dad's design, and I don't have enough tank tops, and so sometimes I take shirts and make them into tank tops, and so that's what I'm rocking. It looks amazing. So thank you. I would give the one illusion that I have muscles, but I don't actually.
2: <laughs> We're all
0: in that same boat. game. just crushing that Red Bull can <laughs> in your <Yeah>. toxic coffin,
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Jamie, what do you have on? I'm actually pulling out some scissors to turn the (laughs) shirt that I'm wearing into a tank top. um, Because I'm (laughs) wearing a Careful Gaze t-shirt that Gabe so graciously sent me from uh, the last time. Uh, It's the, what did we call this, Gabe? What's this design called? That one is the wolf tee. But what's the, uh, the, the bleach? Oh, yeah,
1: bleach dye. Or yeah. like acid wash, yep. whatever. You, I guess you can call it either, but yeah, like a bleach dye wolf tea.
0: Yeah, like tie-dye with bleach. Mm-hmm. It's fucking that was fun sick. to do.
3: Actually,
1: yeah. my feet were bleached for a while. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> you So Gabe, since we last spoke, I, I had a work trip in Minneapolis last summer. Uh, so yeah. Gabe and I got to meet up, and um, we had a couple beers, and we had couple veggie burgers and Gabe was kind enough to give these shirts to to me to bring home for Jamie and I. And then I also talked to Gabe during that time about collaborating on a song, which we've done. So a lot has happened since you yeah. were last on. We've been, we've been busy. Yeah, we have been busy. Uh so speaking of Toxic Coffin, um I know we've been talking about Stranger Things for like nine episodes. So just we can't. We can't We're, we're <laughs> trying to stop talking about it, but we can't. Uh, so I do have a Toxic Coffin um, Stranger Things t-shirt on. This is from uh, the Stranger Things run they d- they did, and it's a front and back tee, and it's the one that has the uh, the ambulance on the back that's upside down a aflame um, because L flipped it over in the first season.
0: How many Toxic Coffin Stranger Things shirts do you have? You have another one, right? Two. The one with the L. Yeah, yeah. I have two. Um, I actually was talking to, <laughs> to them today.
2: I don't know if it was Lance or Steven. But uh, I posted a picture. They were like, nice shirt. And I said, I wear a toxic coffin shirt almost every day. And he was like, me too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happens when you have an apparel company. Uh, I guess last thing, anything family oriented we want to talk about before we
0: jump into our episode theme here. Jamie, what about you, man? I was actually just going to say real quick, this is not my family. Uh, I guess maybe. Like, I have this neighbor who is essentially like uh, a whore dad himself. Oh, yeah. yeah that yeah. we would all be friends with. Uh, but because I'm a little bit socially awkward, like he lives directly across the street and it turns out he's socially awkward as well. Uh, <laughs> so we have just never talked uh, like we've like waved across the way and our kids always play together, but we just never talk. And uh, so the one day I got drunk and they had like a birthday party and I went over there. It was the day we got back yeah, from the living dead for, weekend yeah. and I was like feeling really good. And I went over there and we started hanging out and talking. And uh, I dropped him, like, a horror dad's, like, card because I had a bunch in my pocket from the uh, convention. And uh, we've become, like, really good friends. And uh, the other day we went over there on the 4th of July, and they, like, they have, like, these hatchets or axes that they, like, throw. And they, like, make this, like, cornhole game out of them, kind of. And uh, we amazing. spent uh, 4th of July uh, tossing axes, and it was a good time. And he's, uh, you found he's into horror, yeah? He's way into horror, way into metal, and uh, it's cool. And he, he mentioned, loves the podcast. So
2: he also mentioned
0: Larry, listening shout to, out to you, uh, careful gaze, right? Mm. He did. He listened to the careful gaze episode. And, uh, oh. he said at the end, he was like, it was exactly like, cause he's like a metal guy, like only listens to metal. You know what I mean? Like doesn't listen to post hardcore. If I mention a post hardcore band, he just looks at me like glaze, glazy eyed. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, when that first came on, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but by the end. I was loving it. I thought I would plug plug a music-related event
2: um, related to my kids and horror all simultaneously. That happened today, actually, um, because when my, every time my kids get in the car, they want to listen to uh, Sewer Sharks because Jamie's on that track, um, oh, the one yeah, that, yeah. that my music project did. So Luna today said, I want to listen to something else that you did. So I put on this... Um, my friends, Mike, uh, Kevin, and Kevin, um, we've just been collaborating on tracks, so...
0: Sounds like a Nickelodeon show.
2: Yeah, except the song does not sound Nickelodeon. Right after Nickelodeon. Pete and Pete, Mike, Kevin, and Kevin. But it's, uh, we've been making these music tracks that are all horror-themed, so I made one about Nightmare on Elm Street, and I put it on, and it has a seven-string, and it's like really mean, and... Um, my daughter, I, I'd look in the back seat, like it's the loudest, meanest song you have ever could imagine. And she starts falling asleep. <laughs> I said, Luna, are you tired? She said, yeah, you're too mad on this one. <laughs> and then she just nodded off and went to bed. So
0: nice. Wow. Yeah, relevant. It's actually a,
1: a scientific fact when you add a seventh string onto a guitar that the tones uh, lull children to sleep.
0: Yeah. There you
2: go. Tell... Tell everyone you know that fact, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you heard
1: it from Gabe.
2: <laughs> uh, Gabe, you got anything
1: uh, family oriented? I know you don't have kids yet, but yeah. So it's I don't have a family, but I do have a family story. Um, All right, let's hear. It. I was, and I think John, or yeah, yeah, John. You, I think it was you that commented on it. Uh, but I went to see Crimes of the Future with a friend not too long ago, and I had a great time. And the one strange thing that happened is about halfway through the the movie, there is a scene where someone is being sewn together in some way. And uh, all of a sudden I see a mother and child enter the theater down the aisle and they're just kind of standing there watching this unfold. And I'm like, well, this is... One, not a movie I'd bring my kid to, (laughs) Crimes of the Future. Uh, And two, a a weird time to walk into this movie. And they stand there for maybe like 15 seconds. And then the mom just goes, excuse me, across the theater. And like nobody does anything at first because we're just trying to watch this. And then again, she's like, excuse me, is this Jurassic World? And someone was like, no. And then she watched it for like another 15 seconds or so with her kid and then walked out and... Yeah, that was honestly the highlight of the film for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is actually a great time to plug your uh, Letterboxd uh, account, <laughs> Gabe, because you posted this amazing Letterboxd review. Oh, dude! They just had us all dying laughing. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what it was. It yeah. was We were dying laughing so
1: hard. I don't usually write Letterboxd reviews, but when I do, it's because I know that I have something important to say. <laughs> Otherwise, I just get in like it's an obligation. and I'm like,
0: House of yeah. Gucci, two and a half stars. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what did you think of Crimes of the Future?
1: I liked it. Um, without, without giving anything away, I feel like it ended in a weird place. Mm. Um, but I liked it overall. I, I mean, it had me engaged the whole time.
0: Yeah, I think the end of your letterbox review is like then. Then I was really confused, but not by the family. By the end of the movie, <laughs> yeah. my my friend that I saw it with, we both walked out. And we were like,
1: "Was that? Were you? Did you think there was an hour left?" <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I definitely thought there was like an hour left. Uh, but I mean, overall, good film. I feel like the the grossness of it was overhyped a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you will walk out and fucking die and like neither of those things happened to me little do you know you actually saw jurassic world <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the way you find out is i'm like yeah i just feel like chris pratt you really didn't just convey the emotion that i felt like Oh <laughs> well,
2: man a couple quick plugs um we don't have any new patrons, but if you would like to become a new patron, you're welcome to do so over at patreon.com slash horror dads. We've got a $5 tier and a $10 tier, or you could head to patreon.com slash careful gaze and become a patron there for bonus content and um, live shows, live recordings, acoustic sets, covers. Uh, the Careful Gaze Patreon is, uh, I'm not a patron of a lot of uh, of potential channels, but definitely a patron there. Will be for life. It's a great to Great use of a couple bucks per month.
0: Yeah, I think we said this before, like, whatever I'm a Patreon member of, like, I'm just, until Patreon is gone, like, I'm just paying it. (laughs) Yep.
2: So, um, the other thing I want to mention, too, we do have some merch available. We have uh, tank tops or shirts you can cut into tank tops available over at (laughs) horrordads.com. We've got a full merch store there. So you can check things out if you'd like and follow us on social on all the platforms at Horror Dads. But Instagram's really our our primary channel. So we did not do a a full interview with Gabe here because this is a a repeat customer. So Gabe has been on the show and legitimately has become, as Jamie mentioned, an actual friend of ours. But we had him (laughs) on the show episode 33 on uh, March 29th of 2021. So if you want to head back and check that one out, uh, we talked to Gabe for a couple hours um, and got to know a lot more about, you know, his life, his relationship with horror. So you can jump back to that and check that out if you want. But today we're going to talk about horror film scores, horror film um, soundtracks and how sound interacts with uh, visuals. And without further ado, you guys want to get into that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get at it. Gabe, you are our guest, so we're gonna cover fifteen films. Whew. So uh, everyone, make sure you're hydrated. Grab a sleeping bag. I have a Mikelova Ultra. I've got a gluten-free hard
1: shelter, and it sucks. <laughs> it's
2: also basically water. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get going. So Gabe, you're our guest. So why don't you go with your number five, man?
1: All right. <sighs> this is the first time I've actually put thought into ranking these specifically. Okay. I think I'm going to say Silent Hill.
3: Honey, sometimes when you go to sleep, you go on a little walk. And sometimes you talk about a place. you don't remember. That's why we're going to go there. So you can remember.
2: What year did Silent Hill
1: come out? 2006. Nice.
2: Good pick, man. And uh, Gabe, we talked quite a bit on the last episode you were on about um, our collective love for for video games in general, but like horror kind of video games.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so I remember being so excited when this came out. But uh, go ahead, man. Tell us why you picked this.
1: <clears throat> well, I feel like Silent Hill is almost, to me, like Silent Hill is more of a mood and sort of like the overall vibe that the games evoke than anything else and that's part of what I like about this film is it a great film I would say probably no um I don't I don't I guess I don't know anybody
0: unless you two do that like love this movie
2: no it's fine
0: I will say this though is it Uh a great video game movie yes
2: yeah (laughs) because video game
0: movies typically suck this one is fucking it's a really good entry in the video game horror world Uh, I think that I mean obviously
1: it's a lot better than the second Silent Hill movie Yes, Um, that one when my wife and I were dating I was like hey you want to go to a movie and we went and saw Silent (laughs) Hill Revelation 3D and she had not I don't know if she had ever seen a horror movie at that point Uh, Uh, so she was just under a coat the whole time
3: and I was like wow
1: Pyramid Head's good
2: (laughs) Is it cool when Pyramid Head bangs the legs that are connected to just another pair of legs? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, I for this movie, the first Silent Hill movie, two thousand six, I feel like it's the soundtrack is and the score is very true to the games, partially because it pretty much literally is the music from the games.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, it's very nostalgic and and very melancholy. A lot of I feel like when I think of Silent Hill, I think of kind of that like dreamy, sad piano tone that just kind of makes you feel like you've lost everyone you've loved in a fog and you'll never find them again. Yeah, it's very yeah, sad. Dude.
2: And that's what the game is, really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you're yeah in the like fog, you're like
2: lost it's... and you're trying to find someone you love. Interspersed yeah.
0: with moments of like nine-inch nails yelling at you. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. The thing that I think is funny about the soundtrack is that uh it is entirely music from the games by Akira Yamakoa or Yamaoka. Um, but there's just a random Johnny Cash song. And like at one point in the movie, like Ring of Fire just comes on and it just feels like super out of place. And that's probably, that was probably the point, but I just thought that that was a funny thing to note.
0: You know what I'm going to say uh, now? This movie's genius. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like overall, like, not not a whole lot to say on it, besides it really just captures the essence of the games. And um, some tracks were identical to the in-game version of the song, and some of them were recreated entirely, but were along the same lines. The stuff that they have that has like vocals in it for the credits and stuff, I, th- I think those songs are also really cool. So yeah, just a good vibe. I think if it had different music, if it hadn't been music from the games or by the same person, it probably would have been... Not as good of a movie.
2: I, I just feel like uh, it would be really hard to pay to pay homage to something that so many people have such like a cult opinion over. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you, man. Like I feel like when it comes to like video game movies, that this is a really well done video game movie.
0: Yeah. So in particular, because my favorite Silent Hill is Part Two. Um, the game. I think yours as well. The, yeah, the, the game. Movie. No, 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 yeah. not the movie. Yeah. The yeah. game. Um, <laughs> to, to clarify, I, th- I think you agree with that, right, John? One hundred percent. Yeah. The first one was great, but the second one is really like where, like that's where my heart is when I talk about Silent Hill.
1: I played two before I played
2: one. Yeah,
0: and is that um, the one where Pyramid Head is introduced. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. one where Pyramid Head is banging the legs, like John yeah. referenced. I,
2: I by the way, just to <laughs> clarify, I wasn't being weird when I said that, like that's an that actual really, thing yeah. that happens in the game. It's like a leg. You're in a closet, right?
0: Yeah. And you're watching it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but but I feel like this movie is essentially Silent Hill two, and that's why I love it so much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great pick, man. Yeah, very good Thank pick.
2: You. So, Jamie, how about I go next so yeah. that way you can end end things. Does that sound good?
0: Okay, sure.
2: All right, I'm gonna go totally different route. Also,
0: 2006, you said that came out.
1: Yes,
2: I saw that in the theater with my wife.
0: I saw it in the theater as well with friends. Okay. No wife, happily single at the time. <laughs> Still, Gabe and I are when I say happily single. Was, wives married. This <laughs> probably like
2: sadly single. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going back to 1981 to a film directed by Joe Giannone called Madman.
0: Man, mars <laughs> all
2: right now stick Dude. with me just stick with me okay so this film starring galen ross to, and to, you might be the only person okay, on earth to just put this on hold on a second before <laughs> i start explaining we intentionally avoided several films yeah like we could have 15 john carpenter movies on sure. here and go home happy right <laughs> yeah so we're, we're trying to avoid the obvious and some of us are digging a little deeper than others, such as myself <laughs> on my fifth pick. All right, just hang on and listen. So let's your next one. Slaughterhouse? <laughs> hey, how do you know? Starring Galen Ross, Tony Nunziata, and Harriet Bass. And this is about a legendary psychopathic murderer who stalks a summer camp in the middle of winter. It's actually like November, which is really weird. It, it is weird. That opening sequence, this movies are wearing coats. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that opening sequence, okay? You've got your boy, TP, T-P. his name's TP, and he's one of the counselors, and he's like, it it weaves from this, like, all right, before we talk about that, what we're really here to talk about is the introduction, okay, which is literally the best part of the movie. The intro is the best part of the movie because of the song. You Like, it starts where you have this, like, overwhelming string just, like, Blast you out of a cannon, and you're like Sonic Overload, and then this like deeply synthetic like jungle jam starts to like come out of the woods, and you're like, "What's happening here?" And you find yourself you're just before you know it, you're bobbing your head, literally like I dare all of you to put on a Madman <laughs> and tell me you're not bobbing your head okay. during the intro, okay? <clears throat> then the strings like as you finally you you fall into this little cadence, you're bobbing your head to this intro song. And then these strings like start like stabbing you and you're feeling a little uncomfortable. And then uh, for the rest of the night and the rest of your life, you're humming this song. Mm -hmm. And they do. So the 45 second introduction is better than the the whole movie. (laughs) I'll just say. that. But that intro weaves into TP telling his ridiculous, um, his ridiculous like campfire story. That man is ridiculous. Well, so TP is the one, the young guy telling the story. And then you have oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Max, who's like, why is this person around anyone under the age of 20? Like, because he should be <clears throat> in handcuffs <clears throat> with that haircut and that mustache, right? <laughs> so Max jumps in and he starts to talk about this story of <laughs> Madman Mars, who killed his whole family with an axe. He was then hit with an axe. He didn't die. He was convicted to death and was tried and had like a public hanging which went wrong he broke free from the news ran off in the woods and now you're left to deal with madman mars and then you've got this other like character who's sitting there like listening to the campfire story named richie who's a douche and he throws a rock into the house that they're talking about and he's like madman mars come get us madman mars like that's really how he's yelling yeah and uh max is like hey
3: richie keep it down yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> so, um, but the, the score to this film was done by Steve Horlick and this guy, by the way, like is legit professional musician. He's gone on to do like amazing contributions to film and TV. I think he did like the, um, he was responsible for all the reading rainbow, um, like, which is one of the most famous like yeah. pu- public, you know, educational mm. shows. And I was reading, he has credits to over 350 different episodes of various television shows. So, dudes are a, a real uh, professional musician. Um, but in addition to the intro song, you know, the story being told by Max uh, and the general, like, sound design of the film has, uh, like, a lot of synth whirs and just, like, swings to it, uh, and it feels like an axe is being swung, which is what actually happens in the movie. Uh, this axe wields and swings and cuts a lot of people, And uh, the sound design of the kills is really like it's more legit than the movie is. Like, I feel like the sound design is pretty intense and and decently done in this in this film. But um, if I had to like pair the sound to like my favorite scene, literally my favorite scene is the intro where the credits are rolling and the outro because they play the same song both times. And it's fucking great. So, yeah, that's
1: an interesting one to watch that. I haven't seen it.
2: Well, just download the mm. song
0: as your ringtone and then you'll have seen it. All right. <laughs> no, that, that movie actually isn't, isn't that bad. Yeah, Jamie. All right, isn't, where are you Isn't head? that good? <laughs> 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 uh, all right, so my number five is actually going to be, this is my John Carpenter entry. Um, like you said, I could have had five John Carpenters. Uh, but this is a movie that I fucking love so much. Um, it's really dark, hence the name of the movie, which is Prince of Darkness.
3: Anyone in close proximity has the same dream. What is it? A secret that can no longer be kept. It started a month ago. What started?
0: Uh, so this was John Carpenter and Alan Horworth. Uh, they collaborated quite a bit. Um, Halloween Two, I think, is where they started collaborating. Um, John Carpenter did the composition and performance, and Alan Horworth did like the synth programming. Uh, the sequencing, mixing, and uh, recording and production. And um, this is just like, man, that, to me, this score is the perfect accompaniment for this movie uh, because this movie is just like they go from the college campus uh, to the church where they pretty much spend the rest of the movie in this church kind of unearthing uh, this green goo that is the devil. Um, I don't know that I'll ever really know what's going on in this fucking movie. There are a lot of characters. Yeah, <laughs> There's a lot of shit going on. A lot of uh, jargon. and uh, But, man, I fucking love this movie so much. And uh, what do you guys think of this movie? I also love this movie, man. Have you seen I'm, this movie, Gabe?
1: I'm ashamed to say it's on my list, but I haven't seen it.
2: I, I feel like that's not an uncommon thing. No. Um, yeah. <clears throat> this is... This was one I didn't have a great relationship with because it's. long. I feel like it's long. There is a lot to follow. So like, if you're going to watch it distractedly, um, there's a lot to miss. But this movie's scary. Like it Man. has some really uh, intense looking scenes. Uh, yeah, there's I know
0: a, a really scary scene with Alice Cooper. Oh, yeah, in dude. the alleyway. He yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah,
2: in that parking lot scene too. I think we talked about this with the Alone in the Dark guys when we had. when yeah. we were on their show. Yes, because we talked about eighties. 80s horror and that was the scene i picked was that parking lot scene and like the head disappears and there's like dude, bugs and bugs shit. Like, yeah oh, dude yeah this this movie's great it's scary and the score it rips yeah it's really it's really well done
0: it really does um this is one of the scores i'll put on just like while i'm working and uh just like put it on it's really like super synth heavy like all of the john carpenter stuff uh really dark and it's it's got like a driving theme throughout pretty much the whole movie so it's just super familiar the whole time I love this one.
2: All right. Well, Gabe, we can volley back to you, buddy, for your number four.
1: For my number four, we're going to go to 2002 for the film 28 Days Later.
0: So who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news.
3: They're infected. Infected.
0: Infected
3: with blood. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's the blood. There's something
0: in the blood. Yeah, I know you're a huge fan of this movie. And yeah, it's honestly... Reason. It's up there, not
1: just like horror, but like up there in some of, one of my favorite films, probably, that I've seen. Um, I feel like everybody kind of knows what 28 Days Later is about, um, but if you've watched The Walking Dead, I feel like they kind of stole a lot of 28 days later. (laughs) Uh, But basically, yeah, naked man wakes up in a hospital and puts some clothes on and realizes that a a zombie apocalypse has fucked the world, uh, or at least the area that he's in. And walks around, meets up with a group of people. And I feel like this movie, one thing I like about it is that it didn't necessarily go the places that I thought it was going to go. Uh, knowing that it was like a zombie apocalypse film. I feel like it feels very much like an indie film. Yeah. Um, And I don't remember, have you guys ever talked about like the production, uh, how they used like weird digital cameras?
0: No, Um, I don't think we ever like went in depth on this movie. No,
1: no, no, go ahead, man. Well, I just think it's interesting. Like the way they shot it, they used some like lower grade cameras. Um, to give it kind of like that grungy look um and and so there's some weird like frame rate stuff there's some weird stuff with quality like the quality changes during certain scenes and i just feel like everything they did with it is like a very practical but like intentional way to to give it that early 2000s just like really grungy feel like it feels like you're watching a a music video almost with like a really long plot around it yeah and the score is so dramatic and it accompanies
2: what really is a very emotional film. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget was for this movie, but I feel like they did a whole lot with, um, what they had 8 million, it, 8 million. Yeah. I mean, this feels like a $20 million movie, quite honestly, because yeah. of the, the amount of play, the just the scene, the sets alone and that, yeah. being that like bunker toward the end, like, right. That doesn't feel like a lot of money given the product we got. Um, but yeah, the the score really is it's very heavy, it's very emotional and it's uh it it it
1: hits you in the feels for sure. One thing that I like about it is so like the main music is by John Murphy and they also feature a song I believe it's during like the walking around the city uh footage like when he's kind of initially realizing that he's just walking around like an abandoned city uh they have a a song by a band called godspeed you black emperor which is a pretty famous post-rock band uh probably one of the larger post-rock bands and it's called a song called east hastings uh i think that's really cool because i initially thought that the band did like the entire soundtrack and score because the other stuff that is not by them fits in so well like kind of the main 28 theme um when he's like poking people's eyes out and stuff that I believe is John Murphy and is not Godspeed you black emperor. So it really ties together well, but I also like the usage of like post-rock of post-rock band song in the movie. I don't know how that came about, but I thought that that was a really cool little touch to add in there. Yeah. Yeah. As a post-rock fan, whenever something like that
0: happens, I'm like, yeah.
1: (laughs) Jamie, you like this movie, right?
0: Yeah. But I haven't seen this probably since it came out. Really? Yeah. I'm just like, we've talked about this before. Like if I'm going to watch zombie movies, this typically isn't the first one I go to. Yeah. Um, I don't watch zombie movies all that much. So yeah, I I keep meaning to revisit it. We felt quite inspired to to do that though. After our living
1: dead weekend. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I feel like I don't all, I also don't really care for zombie movies that much or watch that many, but it would probably be if I had to pick two quick, like it would be like this one and the original Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. My
2: yeah. That's the convention we went to was uh in the Monroeville Mall where that was filmed, actually. Oh, um, that's that, so cool. Yeah. It so
0: was, dude, it was I went into it like, I don't know, I don't love zombies. And then like by the end I was like, Zombie, zombie, zombie. It was all in. End, you're you're taken off in a helicopter from the roof.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like,
2: well, we got oh, to do you have see a crowbar we could pull a brick out with and take yeah. over us. Yeah,
0: so Tom Savini was doing, he was doing like photo shoots where he would recreate the scene where he's in like the sidecar of the motorcycle in the mall, like chopping zombies' heads off with the machete. And you could pay like 200 bucks to go up, and he would like it, would look like he was chopping your head off with a machete. And we didn't do that, but we walked by it and we got to see him like on the sidecar, like smiling. And it was just like, this is amazing,
2: dude. He was just happy to be yeah. here, also.
0: Also, if like, you were staring at a line long. of, like, 20
2: grand yeah, of people, right.
1: <laughs> like, I would be
2: smiling the too. The line was
0: so fucking long.
1: <laughs> wow. 200 yeah. bucks, huh? Dude.
0: Yeah. Before we left, I've told the story already before, but I'll just tell you. Um, before we left, I was, like, telling John about it in front of my wife. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's go. And she was like, uh, Jamie, don't do that. Don't spend money on dumb <laughs> shit. And I was like, oh, all right. Oh, Okay dude and we were like
2: walking out the door and Jamie goes oh, just real quick um, like what do you think dumb shit is like just do you have some criteria like you fucking like refer to
1: gotta define it
2: yeah it needs to be defined I watched this whole thing on full I didn't say a word I was just like hmm, this is an interesting social science here alright I will head to my number four then cool if that's cool hopefully yeah, I don't get shit for this one Jamie uh oh you give me a hard time on my last I mean, pick. Madman. The
0: ghost of Madman <laughs> Moss. There's like so many movies you could have picked. You picked Madman, Dude. It's all it's all it's good, buddy. It's the intro song. Yeah, it's no. nothing else. All God good, Damn man. it. Actually great pick. Yeah, I'm gonna play that at your funeral. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh. All right. Speaking of funerals, if this movie were played at my funeral, no one would be surprised because I love this movie so goddamn much. But I'm heading to 1984, the year my sister, Jamie's wife, was born um, to a film that has an acronym that represents cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers called
3: Chud. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs an endless maze of subterranean tunnels. Unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! It's not moving up ahead the top. And unlikely to bring anyone down there.
0: Dude, fucking good one. Yeah, dude. So we both own this vinyl. And oh, what's yeah. funny is I remember the night of your was it your rehearsal dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. And At it went federal. on sale that day. And I had bought the vinyl and we were both worried about it selling out. And I remember you like got a second to like breathe and you like came over and you sat by me. And I, the first thing I said was like, hey, did you get that uh, Chud vinyl? And you were like, oh, fuck. And you went and ordered it. <laughs> yeah. Right there at my rehearsal. Yeah.
2: Day. My wife's like, what's going on? I was like, no, nah, nothing. nothing. <laughs> we're
0: Just getting bed, the uh, oil uh, slick splatter vinyl. Oh,
2: you know, we, we, we remember the uh, the caterer. I was talking to him through there was text like a message.
0: A certain variant that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The manhole cover. Yeah. So this movie was uh, directed by Douglas Cheek, starring John Hurd, Daniel Stern, basically everyone from uh, Home Alone, oh, yeah. <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Curry, and uh, this is mm-hmm. a film about a bizarre series of sudden disappearances on the streets of New York City that seem to point towards something unsavory living in the sewers. And that is verified by our opening sequence when you have what is one of the most lulling comforting 80s like when you talk about sound matching sight like you see the way this movie looks the photography of it and if the sound if the score didn't sound like it did you'd be pissed like you just would be disappointed in life like it's the most natural it's like seeing a dalmatian in a fire station it's like nope that's exactly supposed to be yeah. there um but we have in this film George Cooper, played by John Hurd, who lives with his girlfriend, Lauren, played by Kim Greist. And George is like a, I guess like a successful, well-to-do, he doesn't dress like it, but uh, he dresses like my dad, quite honestly, in this movie. John Hurd? Yeah. Exactly like cut your off, fucking like dad. He that dresses cut off, like yeah. my dad.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like a, a sweatshirt, but not yeah. like a, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so he's this... I think well-to-do fashion photographer who's taken up a project where he's basically like photographing the New York homeless population. So there's like, and he refers to him as the undergrounders. So there's this like very interesting social commentary to this movie that kind of weaves in and out of the whole film about like um, the man and the establishment not believing in the common folk who have this like community underground and like the people you don't trust is big government there's this conspiracy theory and there's this like community of like undergrounders that are the ones that end up kind of being like the voice of reason that you learn to trust in, uh, John, John Hurd's character. Um, when he befriends Daniel Stern's character who you instantly look at, you're like, this dude's a loon, he's a jester, but he ends up being like the, the gatekeeper, the rev. Yeah. He like, he's a, he's the connection point between like top side and bottom side, you know? But, uh, Score was done by Martin Cooper and David Hughes, and um, I was doing some research on them, and they became like this, the standard, I guess, in their contribution to Warner Brothers films, and they were, they did like all synth, all 80s, their names were smattered a bunch of, uh, amongst a bunch of other great titles, which was really cool to see, and I guess they knew each other because they both played keyboard uh, in the same band, but at different times. Uh, so Whoa. I mean, what, yeah, like one dude left and the other one came in to replace him. And that's kind of how they knew each other.
0: Are you the new keyboardist for the Michael Stanley band? Um, uh, the cool. old keyboard. You should quit and we should go. You, want, you heard of <laughs> Chud?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, I guess like, as is the obvious thing, um, the time that you're introduced to the, to the music within a film is typically in the introduction. Right. Yeah. So I, I was talking about that hook of the theme that happens. like, and and like that just happens so frequently throughout the film and it almost becomes like a comfort and certain like street related scenes like this is very like gritty new york city street trashy kind of vibe to the film yeah very dirty yeah (laughs) very grungy and dirty and gritty and that you start Mm -hmm. to associate like those scenes with this theme song because it kind of like weaves in and out throughout the uh throughout the film and honestly that hook dude it's like it's contagious um this is one of those vinyls that like i i own a lot of horror vinyls and there are a few of them like i'll actually just listen to while making breakfast and this is one of them like i actually legitimately love uh the score to this film um and as i mentioned the film's super gritty super dirty super raw and the production of the score feels the same way uh which i think is fantastic and appropriate and it pairs super well so that's my number four. Yeah, I love this one, man. Good one, Chud. Uh Gabe, do you have you seen this movie?
1: I think I saw half of it while I was staying the night at a friend's house. Where I was like, I don't think I get to watch this kind of stuff normally. <laughs> I was like, kind of in and out of it. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to probably say no would be a better answer, but <laughs> I've seen I've seen parts of it. It's currently on Shutter, and I think you would dig this movie,
2: man.
0: Also, I would have loved to have seen this movie at a sleepover. I watched that uh, the first time I watched Robocop was at a sleepover when I was eight years old. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Jesus Christ. I saw Gremlins for the first time at a sleepover, so that was like perfect.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nowhere
1: near Christmas. (laughs)
0: That's
2: where I saw the Burbs for the first time. Whoa. Yeah. Jamie saw Mad God the first time when he slept over uh, Mm. my house. Mm mm. My wife doesn't let me watch stop-motion animation. <laughs> and that's 30 years old. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, man. Where are you going for number four, James? All right. So my number four is tough. Got a, a big list here. I'm going to go with um, Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. Yeah, don't, don't, don't go yeah, Trick or fuck, Treat. Almost fucked up there. Uh, so this is the ninth. Er, what year did this come out? I don't, I don't have it written down. This it, is not the trick or treat from the eighties. This is the two thousand. Um, the trick or treat that we seven? all love. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so this score was done by Douglas Pipes, and uh, this is Douglas Pipes also did Monster House, um, and this is like. This is one of the score, the few scores um, that we're going to talk about, probably, that is a, done by a full orchestra. This was a 65-piece orchestra symphony. Um, the orchestrator was John Call. I think there was another one as well. They also used a choir at parts. Uh, Michael Doherty gave pipes, like, he gave him feedback on different cues that he wanted. He was there for the whole recording session, which took place over two days, and, um, so, for the 60-minute movie, or for the 60-minute score, they did uh, two days. And this is just, like, this screams Halloween, and they nailed it because, like, the different cues that they... Like, when I listen to this score, I can, like, see the characters and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it could be that I've seen this movie just too many times, but, like... Probably,
2: uh, but probably the other, the other way, too, a little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, like, they created uh the score for the different characters and the different scenes and the different... Um, you know it's an anthology so there's different stories going on like when you listen to it you can hear and and, uh, like see the different stories in your mind and I just feel like they fucking nailed it and uh, for you to orchestrate an entire symphony around a movie and then it just fits so fucking well is just so impressive but that's why these guys are like you know at the top of their fucking game
2: so just to clarify this professional musician his name is Pipes
0: Douglas Pipes yep Oh, it could man. be a stage name. I hope it isn't. <laughs> hope it isn't. Little baby pipes. <laughs> yeah,
2: but dude, the 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 strings like during that intro, yeah. like when the comic book
0: piece is happening, it's right. like that ring,
3: ding, ding, ding.
2: It's and like you're being like, stabbed mm-hmm. in Psycho almost.
0: You and know? so this was the first vinyl that I bought uh, from Waxwork, and then just those different like,
3: ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Ah, like, just that shit is so fucking haunting. And, like, I just love when they add those fucking, like, voices into the the orchestration. I love it. We
2: obviously adore this film. Uh, we're on the
0: 68th, 68th But, yeah, we've mentioned it 68 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if you look it up online, there's some great photos of, like, what was really fun about this project was I would, I would do research into the making of these scores. Yeah. And would look at photos. It was really cool, like, looking at the photos of, like, Douglas Pipes, you know, just, like, working uh, Michael Doherty there, overlooking everything. It was uh, pretty interesting to see. Yeah. Everyone in a room just, like, watching the movie, essentially, like, scoring as it goes, you know.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Very cool. I feel like scoring a film is way harder, you know, than anybody thinks about, like, when you're watching it. Like, you're not thinking about how much goes into like getting that to line up and also just getting the takes right. And like the feel right. And man, yeah, cause it's math
2: and like the movie's already cut. You can't be like, Hey, can you uh, make the frame happen on three instead of four? It's like, Hey, the movie is what it is. Fucker. So you make this song yeah. happen on four instead of three.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I feel like my, initial thought is like, yeah, it'd be fun to do that sometime, like score a film, like a little indie film or something. And then I know when I would get into it, I would be like, what have I done?
0: Why did I do this? Yeah. We actually, um, was it episode four with, um, Darren? I think so. So we did an episode like with a guy that actually, his name was, uh, Darren Callahan. And we actually discussed scores as well. And he was talking about how he does scores. And, uh, Yeah, like the way that he talked about it made it seem like it's pretty painstaking to make everything fit at times. Yeah, episode
2: six. Yeah. yeah, And Darren's the real deal. Like, he does amazing work. Oh, yeah. He was so fun to talk to, too. And he he picked great movies for that. uh,
0: That's how we learned about the movie The Island. Yeah. (laughs) Michael Caine. What was it? The Thing, The Island, and... No, uh, it was The Fog. Oh, The Fog. Yeah, yeah. The Island and uh, Creepshow. Which oh, is fucking yeah. great Yeah Oh yeah dude I didn't mm. even think of Yeah creep show. Yeah dude Great pick Very good pick Yeah I mean How can you not Yeah like, it, it That That score Like it's not it, It's pretty much It is Halloween But without being Too Halloween-y Yeah If that makes sense No it's It's perfect Anything Disney does
2: Is perfect Alright Gabe On to number Three Yeah
1: Yeah, my number three pick is from 2014. It's a film that I think is uh, pretty well-liked by all of us here, as far as I understand. It's called It Follows. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really.
0: Having some sort of freedom, I guess. Okay.
3: You
0: awake? You're not gonna believe me. And I
2: need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me. And I passed it to you.
0: This would have been on my list, Gabe, if you didn't have it. So, great one, buddy. (laughs) Sorry, I stole that from you.
1: And I actually hadn't seen It Follows uh, when I started listening to your guys' podcast. And I heard it referenced enough that I was like, I was meaning to watch that like back in 2014. What am I doing with my life? So I watched it and I remembered you guys like referencing the, the soundtrack. And yeah, it's just like such, again, such a vibe like that they create with the synths and everything. It's, it's like a, I would say it's like a kind of a droning soundtrack at times. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. Um, very suspenseful, obviously, but also like upbeat, like weirdly upbeat in some places. Yeah. Yeah. But, but where it's like it, they lean into that. And I mean, I think like even if you just watch the beginning of the film, like the opening scene, uh, with the, the girl that ends up on the beach, like that, is a very cool i think it's a beach isn't it yep. or it's like yeah so i'm serious yeah. Yeah. That's Nine, like, 90 degree uh, angles with your body parts <laughs> yep. yep that's a just a very like that scene in the soundtrack is very cool um the scene where they're in the house and like the the tall man arrives that's terrifying yeah. and oh it's only God. amplified by like the just essentially just like strange sounds that they create with the score that happened when that, when he shows
3: up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That whole film, I feel like the themes that you extract from the film, which are dread, like there, there are waves of dread and hope and complacency and comfort and <laughs> discomfort. Like there are so many emotions that happen in that movie. Um, and the friendships are like so dry and delicate almost like that's that's what the the whole the whole movie feels kind of that way and it's like at any moment you feel like anything can happen and it's a very vulnerable experience and I feel like the score in that movie is almost like um um I don't want the bass player in your band to get mad when I say this but you know like (laughs) sometimes it's like you don't recognize the bass but you definitely know when it's not there but sometimes you don't know when it is there. Um, That score, the score in this film is like such a comfort and it's help. It helps you guide like how you're supposed to be feeling in those moments. And it really, Mm -hmm. again, when you, when you think of like effectively marrying um, what you're looking at to what you're hearing, like they, they just nail the absolute Mm -hmm. shit out of this.
0: And there's some like John Carpenter inspiration is all over this. Uh, Yeah. I feel like synth scores now are just all influenced by John
1: by
0: me he said the uh he set the yep. tone starts i, I think this mustache. movie
1: flows really well in every way like it, it doesn't some movies obviously some movies hit a point or points where you're you feel like you're taken out of it maybe a little bit but yeah. i never felt like that with this movie like it's it's like it's all on one very smooth track and everything that the movie does whether it's the soundtrack the way it's shot the way that the scenes go like i feel like that's all working towards kind of just keeping it flowing and moving and i mean just the theme of it too like it follows like the title is pretty much the plot synopsis like yeah yeah, it's being followed the whole time like and you know trying to essentially survive that and figure out do you pass it to someone else or do you just deal with it? Um, the score was by done by uh, rich Vreeland, who is better known as disaster piece, just yep. like electronic sort of ambient artist. I, I think I just have a, a big thing for like movies that have a existing artist that has their own craft outside of film scores. When they have someone like that do a film score, I think that's really cool um not a horror movie but there's a movie called hannah um that the chemical brothers did a soundtrack for uh a score for and i just remember watching that and thinking that that was like the coolest shit ever that you know they had like this group do the the score for the film the guest is another one
0: yeah i forgot Um, about that did that
2: Honestly, I kind of I would, feel I pissed that, that yeah. it's not on this list Dude, now. if
0: you would have replaced Madman with The Guest, you know, you could edit that in. <laughs> oh, I'm sticking with it. Wait till you guys hear. I can't wait until I see both of you
2: next time. You're like, oh, my wife's calling and I hear your phone ringing that song. Yeah. It's going to happen.
0: <laughs> the Guest, that's a great call. Yeah. But similar,
2: like the- similar to what you're describing, Gabe, um, The Guest had a, a same sort of deal, like an artist that had a presence outside of film, you
1: know? Mm-hmm. And I think that helps when you listen to the soundtrack, if it's available on streaming or if you get a vinyl, it helps almost make that feel like you're, you're listening to an album you yeah. know, because it's made by someone who typically makes albums. I agree
0: with that 100% because when you put on trick or treat vinyl, there's moments where you're like, I'm watching a movie right now. You know what I mean? Like there's there's times where like uh that vinyl is actually kind of tough to listen to at times because uh it'll do um it'll like you'll have those moments where it's really loud and really fucking impactful and powerful and you know that someone's probably being killed and then it'll go to like like whispers almost and you're like hmm yeah did the is my vinyl broke or yep but no it's it's playing it's just that you know you're listening to a film so uh-huh. yeah no I totally get that
2: yeah, dude, great pick. Absolutely great pick. Yeah, when you uh, proposed this prompt, I was like, this is definitely going to be a, a film in discussion. Yeah. All right, Jamie, um, if it's okay with you, I'm going to nominate another film from the 80s called The Madman 2. <laughs> no. Fuck off. Madder Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to my next pick, my number three. Which is a John Carpenter film, 1983. Christine. She is seductive.
3: She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure, evil. She is Christine, a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Possessed by hell. Ooh. Yeah.
2: So <clears throat> this film is about an urge boy who buys a car that is an evil mind of its own. And as he has the car, his nature starts to change kind of to re- reflect the evil nature of the car. So the composers of this film are Alan, Alan Howarth, as well as John Carpenter, as Jamie mentioned, they collaborated on a lot of, um, a lot of scores throughout their career. And, it's funny because, like, it this, the the movie kicks off in 1957 in Detroit, right? So you've got this beautiful um, factory line happening in, in Detroit. These Red Plymouth Furies that are being built. And you've got this one specific Red Plymouth Fury that's causing some accidents. One of them becomes a fatality. And I always find it funny that the guy's, like, working in the car and smoking a cigar. It's like, come on, man. Don't. Don't smoke in here. But 21 years later, an outcast kid uh, who's super bullied named Arnie, he's riding with his buddy on his way home from school, falls in love with his car, buys it from this uh, Charles LeBay guy, and the rest is history. But that opening sequence, when it is 1957, like you just hear the car revving. Like that's the first thing you hear is like the. So the car's revving, and then instantly it goes into uh, George Thorogood's. Uh, bad to the bones and I feel like the thing this the the song this movie is best known for is that Uh, which is a little bit of a shame not that that's not a good track but uh, it's got this amazing synth score that happens and it's so haunting and it's so constant and it's reflective of so many themes of the film um, like loneliness and vulnerability and sadness and empathy and and rage at times and um, you get like the feeling of like the night drives and uh, how like the, the synth like really accompanies those sequences really, really well. And this is not anything like super inventive or new for Carpenter. Like there are a lot of his concepts are recycled and reutilized. And he does it so effectively because the, the photography of of his films all have um, such consistency but you know he really strikes again using the same kind of sonic tones, in a really really relevant way. But uh, the the song the <laughs> the somber uh, the way the score is during the scene where Dennis has his injury, like when he's playing football. Oh yeah, um, it's just like it punctuates that whole scene, and that's all Carpenter. And it, it, it like transitions into the hospital scene where Arnie's in there, like kind of checking on him. And that's really like the kind of tipping point of, of the film. It's where Arnie's like, all right, I've committed to being with Christine to being bad. And like, you're injured now and you were the only like point of reason. And now you're an injured point of reason. Right. Uh, So I always enjoy the sound uh, designer (laughs) on that part. But I also, the bullies in this movie are such pricks that like you really want them to get their penance, mm. especially Mooch. These guys suck <laughs> Mooch when he gets like dropped off underneath that bridge and he gets out of the car and uh there's that sequence where like he, he jumps out, he's under the bridge and he sees Christine like straight ahead. And he thinks Arnie's in the car. Uh, Cause by this point in time, they had like already totally fucked up being the, the shit yeah. out of the car and it re- rebirthed itself. Um, And it, The car like creeps around and again the sound design is so quiet and like you hear the car like crunching on gravel as it's going and it's playing this like doo-wop 1950s music so quietly yeah and you're just kind of like listening to it and then it kicks in um to the synth uh as it chases moochie and eventually kills him and i always find it funny when moochie like pulls a switchblade on the car and it's like what are you fucking gonna do with that (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so I had to go with Christine for a lot of those reasons, but that's my, uh, my number three.
0: Yeah. I think this is one of the better Carpenter scores and I love the use of the stingers in this one. Like even when he, you know, when Arnie says, uh, like, show me and it's like, meow oh, and I just, I love it, man. It's just, I'm all in on, on that. And the, the chase scene where the car's on fire. Yeah. Oh dude. Just fucking, I mean, that's one of my favorite m- moments in our boy any from uh, a Friday too. Friday mm-hmm. 2 yeah Friday 13th part 2 yeah it. yeah yeah I love that movie yeah. good pick alright so my number 3 is actually going to be another orchestral score uh, it's Poltergeist Hello. they're here yeah. hey, sweetie hey, remember
3: last night do you remember when you woke up and you yeah. said you were here uh huh Well, who did you meet? Who's here? TV people. Something's
0: funny going on here next door. Something,
3: uh... We
1: were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. From 1982.
0: Never seen it. Is it a romantic comedy? (laughs) Uh, So this is Jerry Goldsmith, who was just, like, pretty much an icon. Uh, He did Alien, Star Trek, amongst a million others. So, Poltergeist, as we all know, was directed by Toby Hooper, uh, but was supposed to be Spielberg, I believe, uh, but he was tied up with E.T. Um, this movie got the green light, and he was like, well, shit, I'm already tied up. I can't do this. So, I'll have uh, Toby Hooper do it. Um, but Toby Hooper did direct it, despite what some people may say. Um, so, Steven Spielberg wanted John Williams to do this one because he had a love affair with John Williams. Uh, but John Williams was also tied up doing ET. So, uh Steven had a love affair with or he also loved um uh Jerry Goldsmith from watching The Omen. Um ever oh, since really? he saw The Omen, he was like, "Man, I'm, you know, enamored with this dude and his work." So this was his chance to work with him. Um the the selling point for Jerry Goldsmith on this one was that he would be working with Steven Spielberg and not Toby Hooper. Um, and that's what Steven Spielberg did with, that was like his major contribution to this movie was working with the music. So, uh, he got to kind of guide Jerry where he needed to go on this one. Um, this is just like, dude, this movie is childhood to me. This movie came out in uh, 1982. I was born in 81. So I kind of grew up with this movie. um, this is like one of those deals where when you listen to it, you can hear different like cues throughout the movie. Like you can hear like uh, scenes where she would go into the TV and you can almost hear scene like appliances. And uh, there's just like so many different cues when you, when you listen to this uh, score, I was listening to it today uh, working and it's just like, man, I can hear that scene. I can hear this. I can see this. And uh, it also helps that they name them, you know, like yeah, clown, Uh, That always, that always helps like clown capture or whatever. Uh, But yeah, no, I just, I love this movie so much. And I feel like the small woman gets sucked into vortex. Yeah. I also feel like the score of this movie is so perfect because when you watch this movie, you think, and I, I think like even still you think like, oh, it's a fun, lighthearted movie. Right. And uh, it's not dark, but like if you score this differently, it would be super dark. And the way that they score it is just perfect enough to make it almost nostalgic, kid friendly, comforting, Yeah, uh, which it you could definitely steer this movie the other way if you wanted to.
3: Yeah. Dude.
0: I had
1: it on in a hotel once that I was staying in and I don't remember if it was on a tour or if I was just traveling, but <clears> it was a very I don't know. Yeah, like the just something about dark room having this on and having the volume like fairly low and just kind of like letting it be a background thing. It was very comforting. Yeah. Yeah. Just a vibe setter. Dude,
0: this movie is a vibe. I love this movie.
2: Yeah, it really is. And I think the score has a lot to do with that. You're right. Yeah, and it's just, we've talked about the comfort and safety of the Midwest, and this movie is that, you know. That's suburban. Yeah, Yeah, it's the suburban Midwest lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this movie is all about, like, expansion of the suburbs and, you know, that's where they get into trouble. Sumerism. And Jerry Goldsmith is just a fucking master of his craft for sure. All right, uh, Gabe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to, this is my second one. Yep. Uh, second from top, going to 2018 for Mandy. into the dark embrace I know here we go here we <laughs> we've go. already discussed Mandy a little bit tonight I know that it's been brought up uh, rightly so on the podcast a few times where do you guys stand on this film now do you do you like it yeah we're, we're I,
2: th- I think we're into Mandy it's okay. a, it was a uh, and not a difficult, I don't want to say it was a, it was a much like midsummer. It took us work to appreciate it. I think that's what Mandy was for us. Um, I don't want to speak for Jamie, but for me, I watched it the first time and I was like, Oh, I get why people like this, but I also get why it's not totally my thing. And then I think we had a Patreon watch through episode with Kevin Esposito. Yeah. And when we watched it with Kevin, I was like, Oh, I think I get it now. Like I, I don't think it was the movie. I think it was me. So
0: yeah, I, I'm I'm in on Mandy. Well, the thing with Mandy for me is I feel like it's a familiar movie. It's a familiar, it's a revenge story. You know what I mean? It's not super complicated, but I feel like the visuals and the way that they present it makes it almost seem like it's complicated and yeah. almost makes it seem like it's deeper than it really is. Uh, yep. I'm not, I'm not detract- that I'm, that's not a negative. I feel like they just kind of doctored up a familiar story and just made it better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could see that uh kind of to invert things a little bit into the world of like rather than music and film to put it in film and music we actually used uh the scene where it's it's kind of a monologue from uh jeremiah sand the cult leader yeah um the scene where he's like talking about essentially like his uh divine encounter where he became like enlightened and his face is like shifting in and out of Mandy's. Uh, we used that for an intro to our live set one Whoa. time.
0: Dude, uh, that's amazing. That is yeah.
1: Amazing. I just chopped it up a little bit and like added a few things. And then we went into our song called, uh, hate coffin and it was pretty sick. Um, and this actually, that scene and kind of like the style of it influenced me in how I wrote and produced, uh, the interlude poem track on our new album, that comes out soon um, called flowers. So if you happen to listen to it and you hear the song flowers, just know that it's a little bit influenced by Mandy in a, in a weird way. Um, It's incredible. Also also probably with the sense too. Um, This is another synth heavy one. And I think I'm realizing as I, as we're doing these that I'm really a sucker for just like essentially rock or synth influenced score. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, if it sounds like conjuring, I don't want it. Uh, but
0: if it's like <laughs> it's some fucking sensor rock, let's go. So um, you shy away from the, the orchestral scores aren't really your thing?
1: Yeah, I think, and I mean like obviously they all have their place and they can sure. be done well. I think I've just maybe it's just that I've been to so many like mid-2010s cheap horror films that just had like the dime of dozen orchestral orchestral track that soundtrack that i'm just like no (laughs) yeah yeah um but this one i think it's again another movie i watched in a dark room um i watched this film by myself in a dark room for the first time and man it just like the colors and the sounds and everything about it was just so captivating i feel that this is a very haunting film very dark film and like strangely beautiful is it's like, it's a, you know, it's like a love story. It's a revenge story. And the music definitely amplifies that. Like I was driving around the other night in Minneapolis, just, and I put on the uh, Mandy love theme from the soundtrack. just like had it playing in my car and it was just such a good mood setter. Yeah. Um, it was done by Johan Johansson an ambient musician and composer. And I feel like another thing I like about it is that it doesn't overdo it, like in parts where it doesn't need to be super prevalent and it, and it can kind of just like let the, what's going on in the film speak for itself. It does that. But then in other times it's like very present and you're very clearly listening to something that's there. Um, So I think it's, it was done very tastefully. You know, uh, Johan was Icelandic.
2: And this was the last score he did. He died shortly after this movie was made. Whoa! Yeah, oh. he was only forty-eight. Damn! I didn't know that. Young, young. So, hope you wanted to take a somber movie. And Way to go! Make it even more somber.
0: Also, Gabe, Shooter. I love listening to a good horror score uh, while driving at night. It's yeah, just the best. Yeah, uh,
1: Children of the New Dawn. I think it's like the ending kind of song. That's another one that's really good to just like throw on and drive around to. I mean, that's. I think literally what happens at the end is there's like some driving involved and uh, you're with a potentially a apparition of someone you love. Um, And yeah, I think that it's just, it's essentially just like a really dark kind of like love story soundtrack. And it, it does what it does really well. A couple of just interesting things that I found relating to the movie that has to do with music, but not the score is uh the weapon that Red Nicolas Cage's character makes is based on the F from the logo for the extreme metal band Celtic Frost.
0: Oh my god. Really? Yeah
1: that's amazing. Full
0: circle uh, right there. Like full <laughs> like that
1: fact could not be
2: any more relevant for this whole evening.
1: <laughs> and then the uh, the other thing is the song Starless by King Crimson. Uh, that's in the opening credits. It was taken from the 1974 album Red, which is also the name of Cage's character. Um, So I don't know if that was an intentional thing or a little Easter egg or or what, but just another kind of little fun thing worth noting.
2: Very interesting. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, good pick. It's a good film. I feel like I still am a couple years from really appreciating its full potential i need uh, a few more watches into it and i'll probably watch it maybe once a year in the next few years
0: so um yeah the visuals on this one are really the selling point for me yeah, dude yeah really yeah. good it's beautiful it's it's beautiful. And richard Brake is just always amazing too I, I love that guy the intensity i think he's the cult leader yeah yep. yeah I mean, and Nicholas Cage does not I mean, Nicholas fucking too. Cage, man. I mean, like, he, he's, he's in his renaissance right now. Honestly. <laughs> it made me like him again, for sure. Yeah.
2: He's become like the, like when Chuck Norris was funny for whatever fucking reason. Right, that yeah. That just yeah. happened. Like, oh, it's funny because it's Chuck Norris. And I was like, I, am I missing the joke? Uh, <clears throat> that's kind of happened with Nicholas Cage the past few years, but he...
0: The dude doesn't uh, skimp out on his performance. Well, he did that thing where he went bankrupt, right? And we were all like, fucking poor Nicolas Cage. And then it was like, wait, banger movie after banger movie? Yeah. Or mediocre movie with a banger performance? (laughs) Yeah. That's what it really became. Yeah. You guys ever watched Left Behind? No. I I don't know that I have.
1: That's all right. I mean, it's not, it's not an all right movie. It's all right that you haven't watched it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, all right. It's, it's a rapture. Yeah. It's a rapture thriller. Uh, and he's just like stuck on a plane during the rapture the whole time. And I think that was like the last film I watched from Nicolas Cage. And I was like, I think I'm done. And then I was very skeptical about Mandy, but I had heard good things. So I watched it and then I was like, okay. And then I watched the color out of space and I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing stuff where he's just like, I'm in pursuit of a truffle pig. And I'm like, what is, what is his career now?
0: <laughs> that movie actually was weirdly good. Um, what about, what was that movie that I uh, gave? I think we talked about this on the discord channel. Uh, incident it wasn't incident in the ghost land. Cause that's a different movie, but
1: Oh, uh, Prisoner.
0: prisoners of the ghost. Land. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man,
0: that was a no go for me. <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs>
1: I, I tried, I really tried. And, I it was actually I was uh, completely overhauling and redoing our online store for the band and I put it on and I just kept getting more pissed off at it the longer yeah. it went on. <laughs> and, and so then I was getting pissed off at technology, too. And just like, man, nothing works and the stupid movies on and <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a really weird one. Stupid yeah. movies on. All right, John, where are we at, buddy?
2: <laughs> All right, I'm heading to 2009. First uh, step out of the 80s since I started picking movies here. So I'm going with a Sam Raimi film from 2009 called Drag Me to Hell.
1: Another extension is
3: out of the question. Where will I live? I'm really sorry. Never have I begged for anything, but now I humble myself before you. Please. I beg you. Oh, please let go. Please let go. Security!
2: Shame me. So this film right. is starring Alison Lohman, Justin Long. Uh, it's about a lone officer who pretty much evicts an old woman from her home. And then finds that uh, she is the recipient now of a supernatural curse from this woman. And she's desperate and she turns to a a seer to try and save her soul. And all this evil stuff is happening to kind of like push her to her breaking point. So I took actually um, a little snippet from from the vinyl. Because Waxwork Record uh, did a press of this vinyl. And I found this nice little write-up in there. So I'm, I'm actually going to read this. Nice. Uh, because I think it's really relevant. But the film score was composed and conducted by famed composer Christopher Young, who did Hellraiser and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, one of Jamie and I's favorites. And it was Young's aim to create a sonic landscape of a world that did not exist, a supernatural setting featuring overdubbed layered violins to emulate an evil devil-like force manipulating the instrument horns organ childlike ethereal voices and vintage keyboards round out the score to create a dark and intense experience i thought that was such a really like i was that's great i was looking at that and i'm like how the fuck i that's what i think about this and that's what i feel how am i ever (laughs) gonna like be able to summarize that i might as well just read it uh so that truly is what and how i feel about this movie but uh, this movie is actually great. I, I used to have a bad relationship with it because it came out um, in two thousand nine, and I don't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe Evil Dead five was going to come out or something, and it it was a departure from that. But Allison Loman's character is so good. Justin Long is so good in this. It's funny. They're they're witty. Their relationship is authentic. It's genuine. It's really well acted, and the score is so good. It is so good. Uh, and I think that the sequence in the parking garage is like one of the most elite parts of the movie. Um, and the score is like so incredibly ominous leading up to the, to the reveal and the scare, like as she comes out to the parking garage and she's in her car and it's very uh, like upsetting and the scores like, um, mounting and she gets in her car and the camera like pans like 180 degrees and, and it's, it pans with the handkerchief that she's looking at floating Um, from the front of the car to the back. And when she turns around, uh, like a myriad of sounds are attacking you and you feel uneasy. And the, the handkerchief, when it comes to the back of the car, like frames in on the shadow that is in the back of the car. And it's Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Ganesh, I believe her name is. Uh, and then that, that whole scene, uh, just unloads right there. Like it gets so fucking intense. Um, Mrs. Ganesh is, sucking on her chin without her false teeth and putting her false teeth back in like that whole sequence is absurd the way it falls. Uh, and it's really reminiscent of like the witch scene in evil dead. I think.
1: I feel like when I watched it, uh, it was probably, it was probably like 2000. When did you say it came out? Nine, 2009. Okay. It was probably like 2011 and it was on one of those like terrible, uh, essentially like bootleg streaming sites where yeah, yeah, you got, yeah. like you were always at risk of your computer being destroyed <laughs> because you know, that's how I watched a lot of my horror initially, like when I was a teenager yeah, uh, yeah. and I feel like I need to watch it again because whatever <laughs> quality level was on that website, I'm sure just absolutely destroyed any <laughs> hope of me enjoying the score. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I feel like the highlights of this movie are the score and a sound design uh it's great I, I just i this is one of those movies i want to love more every time i watch it kind of like what you were saying um yeah i always like i feel like it drags like, no pun intended <laughs> i feel like it drags just a little bit in the middle uh, drags where me in i'm the just hell. like let's uh let's get to the let's wrap it up yeah. uh but i mean i love the vibe of it and, I, you know just my two cents all right, cool. Fuck you, Jamie. It's your turn, number two. <laughs> All right, so my number two is way better than that one. It's uh, Chopping Mall from
3: 1986. Oh, as a new security system, completely mobile, user-friendly, and absolutely fail-safe, but something is going wrong.
0: Starring Russell Todd. Starring Russell Todd. Uh, so, this one was uh, scored by Chuck Serino, who was just a cool dude uh, who liked, uh, who had like a synth fetish. And he was friends with uh, the director of the movie, Jim Winnorski And so, Jim Wynorski, when he needed the movie scored, he like called Chuck and was like, hey, um, I know you're big into synth. Do you want to score this movie? So, Chuck just sat Indian style around uh, or. Uh, What do we call it? Cross leg or crisscross applesauce applesauce. around his, uh, surrounded by synths. I actually have this cool photo we should post, uh, to Instagram of him just like, so eighties out, uh, sitting around all the synth. And, um, he made this amazing fucking score, uh, which if you go to waxwork records to try to get it, it's sold out, but it was 75 bucks to buy on vinyl. Like, Holy fuck. Yeah. um, he also did Deathstalker 2, which I've never seen, but I kind of want to see just to hear his score. Um, and he said he was directly, pretty much directly influenced. Like he got his rhythmic style from Carpenter. Um, and like Halloween 2 was really like one of his main influences, uh, which, like, if you're in a synth, why wouldn't it be? Right. So um, this movie is ridiculous. It's about uh, some protector. They call them the protectors, the robots that this mall comes up with for, um, protecting them all at night after hours, which is just a ridiculous thought. Uh, the, the robots are supposed to be, it's like four robots, I think. And they're supposed to be, they're supposed to shoot like lasers that just kind of incapacitate you and not kill you. But a uh, rogue lightning strike fucking <laughs> yeah, affects dude. the robots so that they start killing people. And this was at the Galleria mall. Um, which was also, I think, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was filmed there, and the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, was filmed there. And I guess the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando, they fucking, like, shot them all up. Like, the, the, like they, like, really fucked them all up. So they were like, ugh, we're hesitant to have any more move, uh, any more movies here. But Jim Warnorski was able to convince them to uh, let them film there. So a masterpiece was created. Yeah, I love this movie, We're big man. fans of this movie. Yeah, it's cheesy as fuck,
2: but... I don't know. I always say it. I don't know how we got here. We're at number one, though. Here we go.
1: All right. Maybe. My number one pick is a movie from 2015. It's a film that I talked about the first time I was on this podcast. It's called Green Room. Okay. I'm with the eight rights from Washington, D.C. You guys are hard to find. Want no know social media presence?
3: The music is
1: shared live.
3: It's time and aggression you gotta be there sorry guys we gotta clear up follow me and then
1: it's over. i feel like i texted john i was like is this gonna be annoying if i do this again <laughs> i don't want i didn't really want to repeat movies but also this movie to me it's it's probably one of my favorite films like it just the way that it kind of captures the essence of just being in a band and like the uncertainty and kind of like sketchiness that comes with being in a band at times touring around to these places that you've never been before and the situations you can find yourself in. It just captures that essence perfectly. And a huge, huge, huge part of that is the music in it um, and how kind of authentic it is to the punk scene and like the, the metal scene and yeah, just a, a great movie. Um how you guys feel about this one now?
2: Dude, I mean, I don't know if I had seen it prior to our first discussion. It hadn't been many times. So like, uh, I got re- reintroduced to the film, uh, when you were on the show last year. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, man, I, I definitely enjoyed it in the, the, the purpose of sound in this movie is like very obvious and relevant and, And I feel like we would be remiss to cover this topic and not touch on it.
0: I feel like this was one of those movies, John, where like i recommended to you before and you're like, yeah, cool. I'll I'll get to it. And then Gabe was like, yeah, no, the green room. And you were like, God damn, the green room. Great one. I had seen this movie prior to you, Gabe, and I I loved it then. And then um, rewatching it and then hearing your perspective on it was fucking great. Made me love it more. Um, I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't like, I feel like the soundtrack is amazing. I feel like I don't remember a score per se. Um, So I don't want to comment on that, but I do love the music in this movie.
1: So I guess just a brief summary is a movie directed by Jeremy Saunier, who did murder party, blue ruin uh, a Netflix movie called hold the dark. And uh, this movie is about a punk band called the ain't rights that have a really bad show where they get underpaid and the promoter that puts it on, he's like, all right, I'll make it up to you tomorrow. Go to this place. You can crash at my place and then go play this bar. Um, And they end up going there and realizing that it is a Nazi bar. And then they witness a murder happen. And then they get trapped in the green room having witnessed a murder. Uh, And then Patrick Stewart is just like so good in this film. Oh yeah. (laughs) So menacing.
0: Yeah, the, the a owner of serious the... serious
1: presence. Yeah, yeah, the bar, just shows up and kind of takes command on things, and so then they have to try to figure out how to get out of this venue, and because there's also like a essentially they have like an an army of like yeah skinhead kids that <laughs> that yeah uh, that's attack it. <laughs> them. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a really interesting movie. Um. I think some of the major highlights for me is the band which is, you know, made up of actual actors. Like I would say pretty, pretty well-known names, at least like uh, Anton Yelchin, like definitely him. Uh, Imogene Poots, like there's some pretty decently known names and they actually learned like their parts on the instruments. They played it. They, you can listen to the, in the soundtrack of it on Spotify, like you can listen to the recordings. All right. um, Head
2: to my number one. I'm going to another new decade I haven't touched yet, the 70s. So, the last year of that decade, 1979, the Don Coscarelli classic, Phantasm. Phantasm. The
3: delusion of a disordered mind. A phantom. A spirit. A ghost. For nearly four decades it has been contained, but evil always has a way of breaking free.
1: Tommy's gone. It's hard to believe.
3: It was a good idea not to let your little brother come to the funeral.
1: Yeah, I don't like this place. Something
3: weird is going on up there.
1: The funeral is about to begin,
0: sir. Dude, this is a interesting one for you because I I feel like you don't like this movie that much. That's what you think. Yeah. (laughs) I do like this movie. That's what you thought. Yeah. Uh, So this movie
2: starring a Michael Baldwin, Bill Thornberry, Reggie Bannister. It's about a teenage boy and his friends who face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the tall man who employs a lethal arsenal of different weapons. Um, I actually refer to them as lobotomy balls because there are these little balls that fly through the air attached to the front of your head, suck out
0: all your juices. They're amazing. Spit it out. That's amazing. One of the better, like, uh, weapons in horror. They're ridiculous. So basically, though,
1: you have Mike. What is this movie?
0: Like, what the? (laughs) Have you seen this, Gabe? No, I haven't. I've I've seen, seen like, clips, but I haven't seen the actual thing. So I watched it today. Uh, So I was actually watching it last night. Totally not even realizing it was on your list, right? I went to bed watching. I've seen it before, uh, but I've I i do not think I've ever watched it like front to back. Like I always like I'll watch it, I'll fall asleep or whatever. So I was watching it again last night, fell asleep. But today during work, I was watching it and I was like, "What? Like what? Like what, like, what is that? What is happening? What is this? Like, this what movie the is fuck? ridiculous." So
2: <laughs> let's talk about the movie. A yeah, little. go ahead. So tell, got, tell me about it. You have Mike. Who's the little brother. Yeah. And much like in fun house where you have like the kid brother who's like following the older sibling around, like that's what's happening in this movie. Uh, yes. So funhouse obviously on came out man. after this, yeah. but um, so you've got Mike, who's the young brother. He's the teen boy. Uh, they just lost their parents and, and he's afraid to lose his brother. So you've, you know, they've, they've fallen through a funeral. Uh, Mike witnesses this tall man lifting a coffin on his own he decides to investigate discovers that this tall man's basically like protected by these lobotomy balls and he's shrinking dead bodies down to half their normal size and reincarnating them to be what looks like Ewoks. Um, Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And I really feel like this movie uses silence just as effectively as it uses the score. Uh, And it lets like the sounds of summer in the graveyard, you know, that intro sequence where like the, weirdest sex scene with the most unpleasant looking man um, is having an encounter and Tommy. And then you, you know, you get the repeating theme, which is great. And it's this like standardized sort of tubular bells sort of feel to it. It's reliable. It always hits the right spot. um, It happens with consistency. And I feel like where there is music, there's always a great mixture. Um, They hit you with organ, piano synths, and there's this like such like I, I know I was laughing about like the percussion and chopping mole, but they like stack the shit and layer the shit out of percussion in this movie. Um, it's really crisp. Um <coughs> in the way that it sounds and you'll hear just like 90 seconds of like just percussion happening, and it'll be offset of like 90 seconds of just synth. And you truly feel as if the music was written kind of like you were describing with with uh with Trick or Treat, you feel like the, the music's written like actually to the film and that they were scoring it as they were watching it kind of thing. Um, I also feel like it would be irresponsible of me not to mention the fucking ice cream man with his ponytail, if we're talking about music, who... Gizmo's ice cream. Reggie, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Reggie, who shows up to his buddy's place with his acoustic guitar and they just rip out that song. Dude. And it's one cut. If the score was that whole thing, it would be amazing. Uh, I would buy a t-shirt tonight. <laughs> it is one game. cut.
0: They come in. Dude. He fucking plays it. So it's the funny. one dude's playing electric guitar, and the other guy, Reggie, sits down with his acoustic and just fucking rips it up. Dude. It's great. doing solos. At
1: midnight is what it's called. What is it? Sitting here at midnight.
0: Sitting here at midnight.
3: Yeah,
1: that sounds right. Yeah. I got it queued up for when I'm done. Yeah. So <laughs> Dude. Dead.
0: When I think of you and Phantasm, like they're on opposite ends of the room. Not anymore, buddy. We <laughs> Interesting. In Look middle. at you—you've turned a page. Crisscross applesauce for of tall man. man. You do a horror podcast for two and a half years, and here you are. Yeah. Y- your palate refines a bit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your last one? <laughs> All right. My number one is not it, it. Like there's no change here. Nothing is refined. It's Scream.
3: Someone is playing a deadly game. Scream over nine one one. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello, hello, Sydney.
0: One step
3: too far.
0: Um, this is just like to me the best fucking score. Uh, Marco Beltrami. He was a newbie at this one. Uh, when he came in on this one, he stuttered, studied, stuttered. He studied under. Guess who? Who we already mentioned? Jerry Goldsmith. Danny Elfman. Uh, at USC Thornton School of Music. Um, this is this one is huge for me because like not only is there there's, a, there's those like vocal cues in this one, right? Like like we were talking about with Trick or Treat with the uh this yeah. one has all yeah. those like little subtle like uh, I'm not even gonna imitate them. No, let's but hear. You, No, yeah. you if know. <laughs> um He like so Wes... I was reading on uh, Fangoria that Wes Craven worked with uh, Marco to develop cues and sounds to like alert viewers or to trick them. So I didn't even really realize that this movie kind of like uh, pioneered the whole like, all right, well that refrigerator door is open. Like when I close it, there's gonna be a bad guy there, just based on the sounds that you hear, right? And then you close the door, and there's someone there, or there's oh, not. Dude. But you or can the trick somebody when Sydney's in the foyer and she opens the door, and it does that like ah. Right, and exactly.
2: Then he's in there a couple. Based on later. those cues,
0: yeah. you trick somebody to either think they're going to be there or they're not, and they kind of pioneered yeah. that. And I didn't really realize it. It's like it's such like an old hat trick now uh, that you don't even really think about it. It is like a new thing. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that like the way that they also incorporate sort of the <clears throat> they mimicked. Uh, he mimicked like the alt rock sound that was hugely popular at the time, just with his score. Like it wasn't even. Um, you would think you're listening to an alt-rock song, but you're not. You're listening to a score, you know? Uh, it's like how you said, like it kind of transitions to like the 90s music yeah. that you expect to hear, but it's really just a score. And I think it's amazing. I think it was a, a trendsetter.
1: I like the use of uh, Red Right Hand. Oh my God, just, dude. The Nick Cave, yeah. And
0: the way they brought it back in the new one. Yeah, yeah that was
1: cool. And he made, a, I think, a specific like a version for scream three or something like that. Or there was like a different one, maybe Hmm. don't quote me on that, but I think that was something that happened.
2: All right. Well, Gabe one last plug, man. Let's remind everyone where they can find your music and, uh, what the name of the album is again.
1: Yeah. Uh, wrath like flowers upon my brow is the name of the album comes out Friday, July 15th. If anybody's trying to, uh, travel, we're doing a release show in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota on the 16th. But we also have some Midwest dates and are trying to put together some more than we already have announced. So maybe we'll be in your area. But uh, at Careful Gaze on socials, carefulgaze.com. If you want to look at shirts and cassettes and CDs and stuff, carefulgaze.shop. Uh, I failed to mention that like the entire imagery of the album and merch and all of that is very horror influenced and the album's about death and grief and it's very cinematic and dark and uh, I didn't say anything about that at the top so if you like horror you might and you like post hardcore or at least rock you might like the album
0: I would say that the majority of our listeners will dig it so make sure you guys check it out next week if you like Red Right
1: Hand you'll love
0: this (sighs) there you go (laughs) All
2: right, and we're going to actually see you out with a Careful Gaze track, so enjoy, guys, and please do yourself a favor and check out this band.